Welcome to Beyond Sermons, where we see Jesus Christ beyond the pulpit. Today, we will begin a new five-part series sparked from a casual conversation about the various forms of discrimination with Dr. Heather E. Burton. Let's jump into the conversation. All right, Heather, how are you doing today, ma'am? I am doing well. How are you, Chris? Hey, I'm doing great. You know, thank God for another day. Been looking forward to uh, yet another interview. Uh, I've interviewed a number of different people. I even interviewed somebody who worked on a mission to the moon, actually. So uh, I'm wearing different hats here. <laughs> I'm talking to a physicist, and then I'm also talking to an urban studies doctorate, if I'm correct. I read through your bio. It's quite it's, hefty, yes. So would you like to just tell us a little bit about yourself? Um. Yes. Yeah, so first, what I always tell people is that, you know, I rest in the identity of being a Christian Black woman. Okay. And so any and everything that I do revolves around those three identities. Okay. Um, and I think that's important to preface for who I am. And even when you look at um, my bio, when you look at my work, it all revolves around me being a Christian Black woman. And so in that, uh, I have had quite a bit of, of life changes, careers, experience, um, because I follow, uh, I follow where God, God leads me. And so uh, I remember being in an interview and someone asking, you know, what are your five year goals or something like that? And I was like, you know, I really don't set goals mm. because I just walk through doors that God opens for me. Yeah. Um, and stay actively engaged. I mean, I'm just somebody who goes and does. But I did uh, when we when we talk about my education, I did uh, my undergrad at the Ohio State University with a Bachelor of Arts in Journalism and African American Studies, and then a minor in Theater. And I have a Master's of Public Administration, a Master's of Social Work, and then I have a Doctor of Philosophy, a PhD in Urban Studies and Public Affairs. So um, that's my background, and then my dissertation was actually on the Black Church as a mediating structure and how the voice of the community was relayed to pastors or through pastors to political leaders for policy change. Okay, so I gotta admit, I did not read your, your dissertation. I will admit to that, <laughs> I didn't. Um, I didn't expect you to though. I actually did <laughs> not expect you to read my dissertation. <laughs> yeah, so that actually threw me for a loop. I'm actually kind of curious. I, I almost went for a PhD myself uh, in the computer <laughs> engineering field. And then I looked at my bank account and I decided uh, no, nah, this is not for me. Uh, but so that's the meeting I just left. That's the meeting that we were having. How to recruit more students for PhDs in engineering? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know that's for another podcast episode. Yeah. I, I can. I can even let you know. All right. I'll share a little bit of it. I. I already had my master's at that time. I was finishing it up, and I was thinking about going for a PhD. And I went to. I was very fortunate to be accepted into one of those top ten schools. I think at the time was uh, University of Michigan. I got a chance to meet with the dean. And you know what? I met the dean and turned out it was a black man uh, who was the uh, dean of engineering. You know, so that kind of perked me up a little bit and uh, gave me a little bit of mm, encouragement. But after talking with him, he was telling me I need to take all these classes over again and I need to do things the quote unquote Michigan way. And it was going to take another five or six years to to get the Ph.D. And. By the time I thought about it, I was just like, man, I think I'm gonna, I'm already burnt out just listening. And yeah. of course, I looked at my bank account and I was thinking to myself, yeah, you know, this bank account can get healthier. Uh, you know, it was quite anemic. 
So yeah, that's when I made the decision that I did not have the the research zeal uh, to go for a PhD. I didn't want to mm-hmm. become a professor or a teacher. And, you know, I wanted to go out there and probably get some real world experience, work on some products and stuff of that nature. And long story short, I figured, hey, I could always go back to school if I really want to. And that hasn't happened yet. So I, I understand your yeah. story not an anomaly. Yeah, yeah. So for all the students who are considering... Case Western Reserve University yeah. in Ohio. Yeah, well, you know what? There are a lot of engineers needed, uh, and I hope you yeah. are able to find them for sure. I usually reserve the right to ask uh, one question that I don't usually prep my guests with, and I'm doing it kind of early. Why don't you just tell us a little bit more about your dissertation here? You mentioned the Black Church. If you could just go ahead and maybe expound on the abstract of your dissertation a little bit more and just talk about your focus on the Black Church. So the focus of the Black Church was looking at the Black Church as a mediating structure, meaning a nonprofit organization that actually carries or a nonprofit organization that provides either services, carries messages or supports community development, community enhancement, social. Um, So that's kind of this idea. And so really looking at the Black Church and how the voice of the community is a part of the Black Church when we're talking about the Black community. So in my dissertation, I looked at how the voice of the community using case studies, and I used mayoral control of the Cleveland school system, as well as police abuse of power, uh, studying the death of Brandon McLeod, a 15-year-old who was stabbed to death. Mm. And so looking at by police officers. And so looking at those two case studies of how the voice of the community through activism, through education, was uh, relayed to pastors. And so looking also at the role of pastors, what do pastors see themselves as? Do they see themselves as advocates, educators, or informers? And so in that, how did pastors see themselves really was beneficial to how that voice was relayed to political leaders. Mm. And so we know that typically election time, the Black church is the most prominent space for those running for office. Yeah, of course. Yeah, is that they visit the black church. So in this, I looked at, well, are these political leaders really supporting the black church and the black community for policy change outside of election time? And so uh, I interviewed political leaders. I interviewed pastors, interviewed some of the greatest pastors in, in Cleveland, Ohio, pastors that were part of civil rights movements, pastors that had historical relationship The same things that the attorney general found, and I can't remember what year now, were the same things that I found with police policy Mm. in in my dissertation in 2007. So it kind of, you know, it it paralleled. It paralleled with the same issues that we deal with. And I think that's one of the important things that when we even talk about the police is understanding. And I always say this is that when you look at the when you look at police and you look at how police are trained, police are trained, shoot to kill. They're not trained, shoot to wound. And so if you combine that with bias, discrimination, stereotypes, preconceived notions, if all of that comes into play when they enter into a black community and they have these preconceived notions uh, of stereotypes of fear that create, then this is we, we get this result that we keep getting. And this is from, and you know, that could take us into another conversation or the conversation that we are planning to have. But it takes us into that historical component when we're talking about what happens with race and how these images have been formed and materialized in our mind, which have formed into stereotypes, prejudice, and biases. And those biases cause us to behave in certain ways. Now, those biases you're talking about, is that is that another way of calling systemic oppression? 
it depends on what bias you're using. Okay. <laughs> so the bottom line is that we all have biases. Yeah. If you are a human being and you operate as a human, then you're going to have bias because biases are formed as early as six years old. Yeah. And in the formation of biases, they're formed from media. They're formed from social media. They're formed from our educational system. They're formed from our friends, our family. So they're formed from our religious institutions. Yeah. So our churches even form biases within us. So, I mean, biases, that doesn't sound like it's a good quality to have, right? I mean, we should avoid biases, right? We should avoid biases when they impact us making negative decisions. Okay, gotcha. And, yeah. and, and treatment, and more importantly, treatment towards targeted communities. And so if your biases are causing you to mistreat an individual or targeted community or perpetuate systemic racism or perpetuate individual racism, mm -hmm. individual genderism, individual sexism. If your biases are leading to that, then that's when biases are a problem. Mm. But if your biases, biases are preference. Biases, some you know, some people define bias as preference. Yeah. It's not a problem that you might like a Milky Way over a Snickers. Okay. Because you're not causing any harm to anyone except maybe potentially your own body. Gotcha. But it's not harm to anyone. But when that implicit bias, but the danger that we talk about is the implicit and unconscious bias. Those things that have been formed because of media, family, institutions that we don't realize shape some of our thinking and our thought patterns of yeah. how we operate and move. Now, that sounds like racism, though. I mean, at least it sounds like racism embodies uh, uh, some of those biases um, when interacting with one another and perhaps having neg negative impact on one another. Um, are there other types of biases or? So let's point out, too, that when we're talking about racism, racism is um, it can be covert or overt. So it can be. Um, formed because of implicit bias, un meaning that you don't know that you're behaving this way mm -hmm. because you don't realize how I've been shaped in society. For example, whiteness. Whiteness is a norm. Whiteness is a reality. White privilege is a norm. <laughs> but if you don't recognize whiteness and you don't recognize white privilege, then you're not going to recognize some of your racist behaviors and your racist ideologies that you practice because you live in a space of whiteness. Now I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here. And it sounds like you're starting to get into critical theory or in particular, perhaps critical race theory. I, I believe one of the tenets of uh, critical race theory is that racism is there. It just assumes racism to be there and that oppression will always be there. And then some of the negative terms that I've also heard is cultural Marxism. So I just want you to address that uh, because it seems like there are scriptures that sort of supports critical theory, but then there are also some scriptures that seem to either deny critical theory, in particular critical race theory. So first I'm going to preface this by saying I'm not a critical race theorist. Neither and am so, I. Uh, let me, let me preface so that as well too. That, yeah. And so in that, I don't say that I am an expert in critical race theory or understanding all the facets of critical race theory. Right. I study racial and gender equity. Yeah. And so I look at things from an equity uh, and a diversity and inclusion lens, but specifically from a racial and gender equity lens. And so with critical race theory, it's my understanding that critical race theory was established in the field of law in which there was this aspect of legalism mm -hmm. connected to race. Right. Which when you're talking about legalism, law, policy connected to race, that's where you get the 
systemic policy that our country is shaped in. Right. When you talk about cultural Marxism, I am not familiar enough to even debate cultural Marxism to say anything, and that's to say the least. But when we're talking about within the word of God supporting uh, aspects of critical race, so supporting this idea of oppression existing. And I think, you know, racism leads to oppression. And it's important, like, uh, I, I think I want to get this correct, but uh, Tenahasi Coates states that racism, I think racism is the father of race, or race is the child of racism. Race is the child of racism. I think that's what it is. And in other words, that race was created because of racism. Yeah. And so racism was a premise to saying there needed to be a separation. If racism did, didn't exist, then there wouldn't be a need to have this separation or this category. But when we talk about racism, it leads to aspects of oppression. And biblically, we know that oppression did exist. Yeah. We know that there were poor within. But when we're talking about economic poor based on race versus economic poor based on class, based ec economic poor based on geographic location, there are different reasons for being oppressed when it comes to a system of economics. Also, when we look at our systems of education, we look at our healthcare system, there are many facets that go into this. But I think biblically, it's important to understand that it wasn't about skin color. And that's where we, that's what American society did with chattel slavery. It, it's made it about skin color. So, I mean, you know, these are definitely um, uh, serious topics, you know, uh, in terms of like oppression. Yes, the Bible says that's bad. But as a Christian Black woman, all right, why should you care about perhaps even the impacts of of oppression and if God's got this or if people put their faith in God, isn't that pretty much enough? You know, shouldn't they just be focused on eternity rather than the comforts of this world or the comforts of their Medicare? Once again, I'm still playing the devil's advocate. I'm not trying to be insensitive. Oh, yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> for, no, my for my listeners sake. <laughs> it's perfectly fine because I'll yeah. say a couple of different things to that. And, and as you're talking and saying, why should I care? Why should not care is a question that I also pose. Yeah. Why should not care if I am a human? Why should not care about my brother? Yeah. Why should not care about my sister? If I'm talking about it from as a Christian, again, why should not care about my brother and my sister's well-being? Yeah. If we look at the Old Testament, if we look at the New Testament and the laws that existed in the Old Testament that focused on even if focused on after uh, a seven year period of debt, debt being wiped out and looking at these laws that existed, they were there purposeful, purposefully for caring. When we look at the 10 commandments, it was about the well-being of the children of Israel yeah. the, and, and respect and obedience to God and your relationship with God. And so, or Yahweh. And so when we go to the New Testament, we think about Christ and Christ's time here on earth, Christ's ministry was about the oppressed. Yeah. It was a system of, he operated in a system of fighting oppression, fighting oppression that was shaped in laws and policy. Right, right. So now the thing is, there are also some churches, like even uh, there are a number of conventions that occurred over the summer. And these I wanted to say, can I say one thing before we move on? Sure. To Sure. That you made you made the you made the statement about faith, yeah, and that God is going to take care of anything. But James says faith without works is dead. Mm -hmm. So we can have all the faith in the world, but if we aren't engaging 
and the work and the activity. Christ didn't just sit on, Christ didn't just sit in the boat, sitting, uh, and I use the boat as an example because when we talk about Christ being, you know, when he had to retreat for his own personal being and his own building, Christ, Christ retreated to replenish yeah. so that he could teach, so that he could heal, so that he could talk. That's action, active engagement. Right. So we we can pray and Christ prayed, but Christ is Christ just didn't pray without moving. Right now, um, the, thank you very much for bringing that point up. That's a great point. But the thing is, there are people are on the other side who basically don't believe racism exists, or you know, people are oppressed. That you know, you know, use scriptures like, "Well, Jesus says the poor will always be there with you." These are problems that even Christ said are not going to be solved. Why? Why dwell on this? Why? Do, why keep inputting uh, racism or defaulting to a racist society? when I guess pushing forward or trying to make some sort of progress. So when, when you say, yeah. And I just want to put this into context. These are like people who are probably in maybe more prominent white churches that I've spoken to. And so that's what I was just about to go (laughs) With, with this belief system. We have to ask ourselves who holds this belief system. And is this belief system, white people, within prominent white churches is this belief system black people within prominent white churches that are having this belief that racism doesn't exist i told a woman at the gym uh there was a flyer that said there was a karate training or self-defense class for to protect yourself against gang and multi-attackers and i said well why do you need gang if you have multiple attackers, gang creates a negative connotation for black and brown people within the community. So why do we need gang on the flyer if we have multiple attackers? And she said, well, I don't pay attention to things like that. And I said, well, guess what? You don't have to because you're white. Mm -hmm. When you live in a white body, you live in the norms within American society. You live in the space of this is how society has been created Mm -hmm. and shaped in my complexion and who I am, not in the negative complexion. And so when we talk about people who say that racism doesn't exist, racism is not real, they have to ask themselves, what lens am I using to determine that? Am I using the lens of normality Mm-hmm. to determine that racism doesn't exist. In addition, they also have to look at, and here's where I go when we talk about the Bible. And the Bible is our guiding force, right? It's yeah. what we, as Christians, it's what we use. Yes. But we also have to understand that when we talk about America and the shaping of America and the religious institution within American society, we have to understand that people were taught only aspects of the Bible. Yes. For instance, when we're dealing in slavery, right? Exodus was left out because slave masters didn't want Africans to realize that there was this salvation for the children of Israel. Right. And so components were left out. Also, when we look at the Bible, is that we've been taught, this is where I go, we've been taught from a white male patriarchal system of learning the Bible. And so if you're taught from that system, then you learn the Bible from that lens. And so everything that you pull out is based on a white male. 
So let me interject real quick then. Um, what would be the alternative? The alternative is looking at the Bible for the reality of what it is. You, you've got to understand who wrote the Bible and who taught you your lesson. Yeah. I mean, uh, one thing I find myself quoting a lot too, especially when people who are maybe even captivated by some of the words that I've quoted from the scripture is where it says, um, let God be true and every man a liar. Now, it's not that I have it in my heart to lie to people about God, but the thing is, the truth is so pure and I'm so imperfect. I'm very imperfect, right. you know, uh, and the thing is, I can only tell what God has revealed to me. So I like to use that as a reference when sharing with people about the gospel. Um, let God be true and every man a liar. Perhaps you could comment and on let that. Me say that's, not, yeah. that's, not to, that's not to negate the Bible. And I think that's what we have to get the listening right. audience to understand. It is not to negate that the Bible is not factual based on the holy inspired written word of God right. and, and men being inspired to write the Bible. That's not what, you know, that I don't want anyone to think that, but what I want people to recognize is who taught you the lessons. Right. Right. And when you were taught the lessons, what were the lessons that you learned? For example, I mean, we know that if we look at the garden of Eden, and we just think from a biological or we think from a perspective of environment. In order to survive in a, a heated area, a desert-like area, you have to have melanin in your skin. And, and that's to say that, but what have we been taught? That Jesus was a white man with blue eyes and blonde hair. And that's not to say the black or white aspect. Yeah. Uh, even though there's a book that talks about the Bible is black history. So there's a book that talks about the Bible is black history. Yeah. But I think it's important to just how, what lessons have you learned? And I'll give you one example that's not biblical really quick, Chris. In the 1930s, their magazines such as True Story put forth articles about women and women uh, working and working women, that working women contributed to de delinquent kids. They also contributed to high divorce rates. They contributed to all of these aspects of negative consequences right. from the fact that they were working. And so if we've been taught that, what happens to the working woman or what happens to, and I'll give you an example, being a single woman, if somebody tells me I'm not supposed to work based on this article from True Story magazine because I'm contributing to the delinquency of kids, I'm contributing to high divorce rates, I'm contributing to infertility. Well, who's going to take care of me as a single woman if I'm not working? Right. And so, but that, that's where I mean where the bias is being shaped. Yeah. That if you're reading articles like this, and 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 letting that or internalizing those articles, then you're internalizing it from a certain lens. Just kind of speaking from that from a little bit here. You're a single woman. As a single woman, how are you able to read the Bible in an alternative light? Because the thing is, you were talking about the white uh, male patriarchal view of the scriptures. And now as a black woman, how do you obtain wisdom from scriptures today? Or even as part of your testimony, if you want to share a little bit of it. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, I think for when I talk about gaining wisdom from the Bible, it's first when I'm before I even read the Bible, I pray and I ask the Holy Spirit for guidance as I'm reading yeah. and to interpret the way that the Holy Spirit wants me to interpret the word of God. You know, trying to approach the Bible from the perspective of this is all new material. Right. So let me read this with a new lens, a new eye, and not with the preconceived notions that I've been taught 
or the presumptions that I've been taught, you know, historically. I, I ta we talked about that in a class that I was in, is that when you approach the Bible, what presumptions are you coming to the Bible with? And if you're coming to the Bible with those presumptions, you're already reading scripture to justify your argument. Right. You're not reading it with a neutral lens. And so for me, it's about reading the word of God with neutrality. That's my testimony is that, you know, you've got to I've got to read because I'm a truth seeker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. So, yeah, I'm a truth seeker. And, and I've, I've been that's been my prayer. Interesting. That's been my prayer for like the last week is that I've been saying, Lord, reveal your truth through your word. Yeah. Because we have been taught so many other things that I want to know God's truth and God's word, but through God's word, not through what I heard, not through what somebody else told me, but what is your word saying in truth, uh, in truth and spirit, you know, the, the scripture that talks about, you know, truth and spirit. And so we have to be in that space. Uh, I am dependent upon the word of God. Right. So, so the word of God is my guiding lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. Yeah. That's the word of God for me. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I feel I understand where you're coming from, where you want the word of God to to guide you. You know, the Bible is full of tough truths as well, too. Now, yeah. I, I mean, there's some things that are really you. tough to swallow at times, yeah. you know. And you also have to read with knowing historically of when things were written and what was happening in that particular time period, what was the surrounding and also reading scripture for what's before and what's after. Yes. Context does matter for sure. Yes, absolutely. Because you know, one of our famous scriptures that we like to do, and I think you heard me say this in another interview is that we like to say that, uh, well, God said he'll give me the desires of my heart. And we, we, we quote that all the time, but we miss the whole part a of that, mm -hmm. that if you delight thyself in the Lord, yeah. Then he will give you the desires of your heart. And yeah. so we miss that whole part A, and we do that with scripture. I think that's why a lot of people are victims of prosperity gospel. They they try to use God to cover up their greed. And yes. then you have these preachers who are just getting uh, brand new planes because of that misunderstanding. But that's for another, another topic. Another, another Yeah, another podcast. I, yeah, yeah, I've spoken about that before. God. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I was just letting the listeners know that I've done uh, some other podcast that talks about, you know, greed and money and churches and pastors and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Didn't mean to cut you off, but one of the uh -huh. things that I wanted to understand a little bit more about is the challenges of not only just reading the Bible as a, a, a Christian, Black person, but also a Christian black now woman. You know, you'll have people that will say that the Bible is kind of sexist or it's male dominated and to, it doesn't empower women. And, you know, there will be the people who are turned off from scriptures because of that counter intuition that the Bible brings to the heart of a woman. That's what I would like for you to, to at least share is we talked about racism. Now, what about like feminism? Do you feel the pressure of feminism in your life and how do you address it? So to be honest, I don't feel the pressure. <laughs> um, and I think because it, you know, it's my daily work. So I don't feel the pressure of feminism, just like I don't feel the pressure of, of having to justify whether racism is real or not. It's yours to accept and to believe, but I will give you the information that supports that racism is real and sexism is real and genderism is real. But what, what I say to the listeners who look at the Bible as being sexist, that's again, I go to the teachings that we've received. 
Okay. I shared with my mom a couple of weeks ago, um, and it's maybe a couple, it might've been around Mother's Day. And I said, have you noticed that when we think about sermons, male preachers don't often preach on the women of the Bible. The only time the women of the Bible are focused on is on Women's Day and Mother's Day, you're going to get something. Mother's Day, you might get Hannah. Mother's Day, you might get Sarah. You know, Mother's Day, you're going to get, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get something that's geared towards a woman and the birth of a child. You know what? You know what? Let me throw this out there as well, too. I've heard uh, sermons about like Rahab and Tamar. Now, let's be real. Not, not, not all, not all women have uh, children in in God's glory. (laughs) No, they don't. But Tamar served a purpose, too. Yes. In her, in the disobedience. Yes. and just like Leah and Rachel, yeah. they served a purpose in, in in the genealogy. But what I was saying was that because we don't focus on women of the Bible as a whole, just like on Easter Sunday, no, I, I have n- I have not heard a sermon that focuses on the women at the tomb for Easter Sunday, unless it's been specifically from a woman. And so when we talk about the Bible being sexist, the Bible is sexist because that's the way we've been taught the Bible is sexist. Yeah. We, when we talk about the Bible supporting racism, that's because that's what we've been taught that the Bible support racism. But when you read the Bible, there are women from Genesis to Revelation that have story of stories of obedience, stories of survival, stories of triumph, stories of tribulations and trials, um, stories of disobedience, <laughs> stories of prostitution, stories of harlotism, story. I don't even know if that's a word that I just made up. <laughs> as I tell my students, that's a Dr. Burtonism right there. But, um, but we have all of these stories. So to say that the Bible is sexist is that we've taken the premise of God's word and turned it into something negative that it was not meant to be based on what societal standards have taught us. Right. And that's what I say when it comes to sexism and racism and you we relate it to the Bible. And because the thing is, and I think where where it gets into the idea of sexism is this idea of submissiveness. And so submissiveness becomes very often the term or that women should be silent in the church. But women being silent in this church was based on women being married and the conversations within the church that should be had with your husband at home. And so, because if Paul, and I, I, I use this because if Paul wanted women to be silent, Paul wouldn't have had uh, Priscilla. Paul wouldn't have had other women that led the, the ministry work. Yeah, I think you're referring to uh, Romans chapter 15, or is it Romans chapter 16? I think there is a chapter just dedicated to uh, announcing the various followers that was very critical to Paul's ministry. And there mm-hmm. were a lot of women in that. And there list. were a lot of women. Yes, for sure. Yeah, for there sure. Were a lot of women. Definitely. So I, I think, but we're good. You know, I always say we will justify whatever we want to justify. Sure. Yes. So I mean, the heart easy. is deceitfully wicked. I mean, it's yes. said twice. I said, I think it's in Jeremiah. And then I think it's, I think it's quoted by um, Paul as well too in the New Testament. So yeah, for sure. By so the way, I'm not trying to sound overly holy. I'm just giving people no, scriptures to keep right. us on, uh, keep us, keep us honest is what yeah, I'm trying to and do. I think yeah. That's important yeah. is that you know, scriptural references are provided to talk about yeah. what is within the word of God right. and to support, but you know, everyone will use justifications 
or use use whatever to justify. We use research and data to justify our arguments. And, and I always say, you know, when I work with students that are, are writing speeches for churches or something like that, that your the Bible is your research. The Bible is your factual information. Yeah. But if you're only looking at it to support your argument, then you're missing the premise of what can be being said. Right. And so I think that's what we have to look at when we talk about and labeling, putting these labels on the word of God, where we're labeling the word of God as racist or sexist. This concludes another episode of Beyond Sermons, where we see Jesus Christ beyond the pulpit. If you were blessed by this episode, consider going to beyondsermons.com, where you can subscribe on the platform of your choice. Take care and be blessed to be a blessing.